0: But this morning, I'm super excited about the privilege of sharing with you. And I wanna ask you a question right at the front. Let's put up that first slide if we can. Who can tell me, that's a bit of a watermark picture, but who can tell me what's happening in that picture? They're raising a flag or they planting a flag. And if you know anything about kind of war and you follow war, this is actually the most uh, replicated wartime photograph of all time. This is busy happening in 1945 on uh, Iwo Jima Island and, and these American guys are planting a flag on the top of this uh, mountain there, this kind of Mount Serebuchi, butchi, I'm not sure how you say it, in February of 1945. And generally speaking, when flags get planted, something important is happening. Something is happening. Planting a flag means something. It's not just the action of actually getting that stick with the flag up, but it means that we're taking a stand for something. It means that we're claiming our ground. It means that we're here with a purpose. In fact, even though this flag was planted on that day, on top of that mountain, and this picture did go on to be the most iconic wartime picture of all time. Three of the men in this picture when in the five pursuing uh, preceding days, would lose their lives fighting for what they stand for, what they believed in. And today, as is our custom kind of near the beginning of the year, once everyone's back from holiday, we set aside a Sunday to kind of pause any sermon series dynamic and we do a, something of a team talk to those people who consider this their family, their church. And this morning, that's what we're gonna be doing. If you're new here, I wanna say welcome. This is gonna be a great opportunity for you to look in on what Common Ground Bosch AM is all about. And if you're not yet a Christ follower, maybe you're in the room because someone dragged you here, or maybe you're seriously considering kind of the claims of Jesus and the person, who He was, we also believe this is a, a great Sunday for you to find out more. But I feel like God is doing something quite fresh in our community, something beautiful. And even though I find myself quite excited for 2020, I do believe what God is doing is a beyond 2020, not just this year, but a a fresh season of taking us into something as the people of God. I've been so encouraged by the overlaps of how so many different people are sensing some of the same things for the last many months. Many people have been sharing their thoughts and their feelings and scriptures with me and with others. And it seems like there's this beautiful choreography of the Spirit of God leading us and prompting us and taking us forward. And the 11 congregation leaders of Common Ground across the city and the elders of this congregation along with our wives, even from numerous other people in the community, emails that I received this week it seems that God is saying something to us. And some of the elements of consensus that I I pick up in what God is saying is this, that there's a real hunger for going deeper and eating more solid food. That there's a real expectation of God changing who we are, not just giving ourselves to more doing in our frantic lives, but God doing a deep work in us. And not really a a focus so much on new and fresh but deepening, a more genuine engagement with the resources of heaven, the person of Jesus Christ. When Rigby and I were away at the end of, of last year, Rigby and I kind of gave a lead across the 11 congregations together. We set a few days aside and, and we went and we prayed and we reflected back on the last few years and some of the dynamics have been tough and we look forward to the next few years and as we kind of grappled and prayed and we distilled upon three kind of leadership questions that we feel like God is putting before us over the next season. First one is this, how do we make this next season a season of peace and fun, a season of peace. How do we secondly make sure that we are more focused on who we are becoming as people than who we are becoming as common grounds? In the last 10 years, we've seen lots of growth and activity and dynamics within the life of, of all the congregations, but we feel like God is calling us back to what does it mean to focus on who God is making us, what he is doing in us, more so than the kind of sideways energy of focusing on common ground. And that takes us to our third one. How do we make sure that we minimize sideways energy, our own strategies and programs and initiatives, and we tap into the vertical energy, the resources of heaven that God wants to give us? If you're a leader in this community, if you consider this to be part of your family, we would love to encourage, reflect upon these questions with us. This isn't something that we as a few leaders just figure out and lead us into. This is something that the Spirit of God leads all of us into as the people of God. And I've come to appreciate those questions because in them I see not just encouragement and clarity, I see challenge and I see a sense of call because peace isn't something that you just get to create, right? And becoming is much harder than just doing For me personally, I spend so much of my time on some of the things that I would consider sideways energy. I'm a planner and an organizer, and yet I feel like God's calling us. And I so often feel infant-like in my pursuits of what does it mean to tap into the resources of heaven and align myself vertically with what God is doing. I'm very clear on what I'm doing today, but God, why don't you lead me? What are you doing? These are things that God himself is gonna help us with. Aren't you encouraged by that? Christ, the head of the church. He is building his church. He is leading us as his people. I find myself quite, quite excited by that thought. We must decrease so that he can increase. But it's very gl- clear to me that God is speaking. It's very clear that he is, he's, he's taking us into something. There's a call from heaven, and we've gotta ask ourselves, will we answer the call? And like I've said before, I really believe that He is calling us to become a holy rebellion in our generation. A holy rebellion in our generation. That is the flag that I want to plant today. That is something that I believe is worth giving my one and only life to. That is the message that I want to live by and I want to invite you to join me today. For those of you who weren't in the room last year in November when I kind of introduced the subject of holy rebellion, let me explain exactly what I mean when I say I believe God is calling us to be a holy rebellion. See, historically, rebels... Rebels were those people who kind of stepped outside the kind of of well-represented, well-agreed-to Judeo-Christian kind of worldview and morality, right? We all had one or two of them in our family growing up, the black sheep, the rebel in the family. And what they were doing is people pretty much used to agree on the way that things should be, the way that we should conduct ourselves and even the rhythms and commitments of what good life looks like. And anyone who strayed from that was being seen as the rebel. But now, fast forward to 2020. The world has changed. See, we live in a world of ultra-liberalism, uber-tolerance, where every different sort of belief and life choice is not just accepted, but must be celebrated. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. And at no point in history have we ever been as free to go our own way, do our own thing, succeed in life without others. And the world has provided us with so much that rampant consumerism is real all around us. And when I grew up, the kind of material chasing after things wasn't celebrated. These days, it's like hashtag best life now, look at how many things I've accumulated and which beach I'm on in the world. It's like just celebrate this rampant consumerism. I'm getting ahead because I'm gathering more. Rampant consumerism and all of these, in these things, there's less and less agreement around what to believe, who to follow and what living well really looks like in our world today. And there's one more ism that I've come across lately and I've identified and I've put a name to it. It's called feelingism. Yes, I did make that up. (laughs) But here's how I've observed feelingism works. See, I feel very real feelings and so do you. And in order to please myself, or maybe more ultimately to be true to myself, I must act in congruence with these feelings that I'm feeling as a first of importance in my life. And in our world of feelingism, feelings have now come to be elevated over truth and other measures of reality. By way of simple example, I see an ice cream. I feel like this ice cream is going to be very compatible with me. (laughs) And with the theme song of my friends shouting, YOLO, you only live once, I consume the ice cream with very little thought for the fact that the ice cream is actually bad for me. See, that's a very simplistic way of thinking around feelingism. But let's apply that same train of thought to so much more important matters in life, like matters of faith and religion. What is right and true to believe? You hear people say things like this, well, whatever feels most right to you, whatever works for you. In other words, your feelings are allowed to determine truth and the way things really are. Do you see the danger? Or let me step into deeper waters here. Think about matters of gender identification, which I know is a much bigger subject than I'm able to really treat right now in this moment. But on matters of gender identification, I find myself disappointed hearing words in my children's school where people say things like, you will just feel who you really are. And younger and younger kids are being asked to make life altering decisions based on their feelings and legally at younger and younger ages. and I know I'm in hot water on this one and I'm not wanting to write off the sensitivity and nuance of these very big conversations, but here is the danger that I'm feeling. I'm feeling that ultra liberalism's little cousin, feelingism, is f- standing in a place of supremacy over truth and reality, and it's being celebrated as such. And it's really doing some damage to people's well-being in our world today. Sayings like, you do you, just feel your way through it. And if it feels right, go for it. I believe those kinds of sayings are leaving the next generation of our world rudderless with no plumb line of truth and no true understanding of where true north is. Last night, as I was thinking about this, I worked out the theme song of feelingism. Do you know what it is? The theme song is Sheryl Crow's big song. If it makes you happy, then it can't be so bad. I'm not trying to sing. I shouldn't have sung. I'm regretting it now. But nobody in our distracted world gets to the second line, which I'm not going to tell you. So you have to look it up for yourself. But this is the world we live in today. No one is gonna deny the reality of consumerism and individualism and liberalism and feelingism, it's real. These are the waters that we swim in here in the 21st century and just because they're real and popular and and the world we find ourselves in, that doesn't make them right. I believe these isms are liars and traitors. And I believe that God is calling us to be a holy rebellion of people who take our stand and plant our flag even in the midst of the current culture that we find ourselves in. And this isn't something we just call ourselves to or just do in our own strength. I believe this is what God calls us to. And as Christians, when we think about rebelling against the world, we can, we can choose a couple of lanes on this one, many Christians before us have. We can choose the lane of separatism. Why don't we start at Jesus Farm in Robertson and we can milk cows and sing Kumbaya together and we will be so safe and we will be so together and it will be beautiful. That's separatism, right? Well, What about radicalism? We can preach turn or burn messages and we can stand outside parliament with hate speech on our placards and tell people what we really think about them. And we can pollute people's Facebook streams with all kind of anti-everything posters and sentiments and posts on Facebook. That's radicalism. And some Christians before us have tried it. But that's not what we're gonna do. We're not gonna separate ourselves out. We're not gonna radically Turn up the heat on everything we stand against. Now Jesus came and stepped into this world because he stood for some things. And we wanna join him. We wanna be those that know what it means to respond to Jesus and to walk in the ways of Jesus. So I want us to look at scripture together about these matters. And today we're not gonna dive deep into just one scripture. From next week we're in Mark, we've got many weeks of unpacking in great depth, just even chapter one together. But today I wanna skim over a number of passages of scripture that I hope piece together something of what it looks like for us to be a holy rebellion as God's people. 1 Peter 2 in verse nine says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and in to his marvelous lights. So we have to recognize that we are set apart. That's what holy means. It means other, set apart. And we are set apart for what? To proclaim his excellencies and to live in the light. Just reflect on your week real quick. How much proclaiming his excellencies and living in the light Are you reflecting on as you skim back over the last week? Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generations, among, among, not separate, not against, but among whom you shine as lights in the world." We're called to stand out, blameless and innocent. We're called to shine as lights in the worlds. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Speaks for itself, doesn't it? 2 Timothy 1 verse 13 and 14. What you heard from me, keep, as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard this good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. There is a pattern of good teaching that has been passed on to us as the people of God and we are called to guard it. We're called to hold on to it. Psalm 119. In verse nine, it says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. See, there's two keys for us when it comes to guarding and walking in the way of Jesus. In these two verses, we see those two keys. Guarding is what we've been given, called to, but we do that by living according to God's word and with the help of the Holy Spirit. You see that in those two verses? This is what God calls us to. Ephesians 4 and verse 17 through 24 says this, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. Those are pretty strong words, right? What's he insisting on? Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the unbelievers. That's what Gentiles mean, as the unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. You were taught with regards to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, being a holy rebellion requires us to put off some old things and to put on some new things in our lives. I wonder what that looks like for you this morning. Which things need to be taken off? Which things need to be put on? Last one, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Think about that for this, just a moment this morning. This week, God is gonna be making an appeal through you to your colleagues. God is making his appeal through you to your family members. God is making his appeal through you to those people that you interact with. Is the flag that you are flying compatible with the appeal that God is wanting to make through your life? Can we see it in all of these verses? Holy is being set apart. Other, different, chosen, clean, pure, loving. Rebellion is standing against what is not right and standing for that which is right, contending for a better day, living for a greater cause than myself, being about the Father's business, as Jesus said, allowing my life to count and setting others free. Personally, I find myself loving the militant edge of this. Now let me just make a disclaimer here. Whenever you feel like I'm getting irritable or angry, please don't hear that as me being angry or irritable with you. I am angry and irritable with the shortcomings and the land between in my own life. When I look at the motivations that get me going, when I look at the decisions that I make, when I look at the feelings that I feel, there's a land between where I know I am and where I know I should be. And every time I see it in this congregation of people, I find myself looking into a mirror going, Ryan, it's you, it's you. And all of us know perfection is not what Jesus requires of us. But there's a militant edge to what I'm saying here because I believe that taking our stand is something that we need to call ourselves to. And I love this edgy kind of wartime element to it. Why? Because I think we're in danger in our world today of possibly being a little sleepy as Christians. A little sleepy. See, I believe the kind of, Holy rebellion type language calls us to remind us that we do not live in peacetime in the world today. There is a very real battle going on around us. It's called spiritual warfare and it's real. And whenever I say the word spiritual warfare, that sounds, kind of sends shivers down my own spine because I kind of grew up in the 80s, right? Right? There's some unhelpful stuff attached to that word, but there are two dangers in the church when it comes to matters of spiritual warfare. For some people, they're overly inclined and they see kind of ghosts under every bush, especially bonsais. (laughs) And they're like walking around as ghostbusters, like what is the devil doing today? And I'm gonna kind it and loose it and do everything I need to do, right? And they're so focused on what the devil's doing that they sometimes can miss out on what God's doing. And there's other people. Other people, they incline to just not give spiritual warfare too much thought. God is sovereign. I just relax in that. And unfortunately, I feel like in that we get caught in the devil's trap to the fact that God is not the only one who has plans for our lives. There's someone who is working against God, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy, and that is very. Real. John Ortbeck says this, he says the greatest danger for Christians isn't that we will renounce our faith, but rather that we will settle for a lesser, tame, distracted version, version of following Jesus. We will settle for a lesser, tame, distracted version of following Jesus. As holy rebels, let's not get caught napping. We need to recognize the spirits of our age Now that may sound super spiritual again, but let me tell you, they're not as spiritual. Some of them are very real and very practical and yet they are being used against us. Think about this, I think a spirit of our age is distraction itself. It is a spirit of our age. We are always on people moving from this device to that device. My wife hates it when I double screen while we're trying to watch something. I'm like, but I can do emails too, look. We are always on people and actually Truth be told, I'm a bit of a technophobe. People know I went onto Facebook the first time in my life this week. And then I tried to do something, got it wrong, everybody laughed. Oh, it's so funny to see Ryan trying to get this right. <laughs> but right now, today, as a technophobe who's way behind the curve and some of it for good reason, you can contact me on WhatsApp, Voxer Messenger, SMS, four different email accounts, and a good old fashioned phone call. We are distractible people and it's affecting us. Did you know that the average attention span is down from 18 seconds in 2000 to just eight seconds in 2017? Welcome the mobile device. People, the average goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds, which is just ahead of you. (laughs) This is a problem, right? This is a problem. We are distracted people. It's a spirit of our age. We are losing focus as people and that in turn diminishes our ability to be present in any given moment. And people wanna know why this leads to loneliness. It leads to broken families. It leads to us not being able to engage and develop social skills because we are distractible people. I learned this great phrase this week and I'm gonna give it to you. Learn to parent your phone. (laughs) What that means is put it to bed at a good time so it can get some good rest and you can have some quality time with the other people that are important in your life. Your relationship with your phone is an unhealthy, dependent parent relationship. Put it to bed at a good time. Don't run to your phone every time it squeaks or squawks at you. Put it to bed. Parent your phone. What does it look like for you to learn to parent your phone? This is a very needed advice in my life. Distraction is the spirit of our age. Secondly, FOMO is the spirit of our age. Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out continues to get us into a place where we're unwilling to make community commitments because we wanna keep our options open. FOMO pushes us to do that. Last year, I mentioned that according to our newfound facts from our kids' ministry, we know that the average Bosch AM regular attending family comes to church one out of three weeks on a Sunday. Oh, shame. Why is that, do you think? I think there can be lots of reasons for that, but I'm also guessing that this FOMO culture of keeping our options open and going after whichever thing seems best now in the moment is loosening our grip as the people of God on community contribution and commitments. In this book I read over the holidays, it's written by a guy called David Brooks, he's a famous journalist. Uh, he writes articles for the New York Times. Uh, he wrote this book called *The Second Mountain*. I turned 40 this year, and I thought, "Ah, cool, great book." First half of my life, north through 40; second half of my life, 40 through 80. Then I hopefully will die before things get too bad. Right? That's my vision of my life. And I thought, half time. And, and there's a great book by the name of Half Time, but someone else told me about this book. It's called The Second Mountain. And David Brooks, in the first half of the book, he speaks about what does it mean for us to move from the first mountain of success to the second mountain of significance. And then he speaks about what does second mountain marriage look like because he's got a failed marriage. He's on to his second marriage. And then the third part of the book, he speaks about what does it look like for him to move past moral living and into s- true spirituality. And he grew up Jewish, but he, became a Christian recently and he writes this book and it's brilliant and he says in this book an amazing thing when it comes to FOMA and community commitment, he says this, he says, the power of the weekly compulsory family Shabbat meal on Friday night in my life was more than teaching, more than pilgrimage or anything else, that commitment to weekly community and God-focused gratitude shaped my life. The weekly call to community. Rhythms of community and commitment are vital to being this holy rebellion people of God. A third one then is progress. Progress. See, one of the weaknesses that Kate and I have, man, I I read that Second Mountain uh, book and the whole middle section is on Second Mountain marriage. And you know what I realized coming out of the holidays? My greatest delight personally in this life is my relationship with my wife. Next month, we celebrate 16 years of being married and she's been amazing all throughout it. Me, maybe less so, but (laughs) what I've realized is that you can kick into a new gear of appreciation and affirmation and, and I found myself experiencing so many of those things over the last few months and David Brooks put some words to it, second mountain marriage. But here's a weakness that Kate and I share. We both have a tendency to always be working on the next goal. The next goal, that thing to buy or that project to fix, we always working on the next goal. If we finish talking about the bathroom, then we're on to the kitchen. If we bought the kids a present for Christmas, we're on to thinking about their birthdays. We're very goal oriented in that regard. So much so that we've kind of developed this trick. It's called target deferral. Target deferral is this little concept of once we get past this target, we're going to find a new target. Where should we aim? Where should we aim? So what we do is we keep this target in front of us for longer and longer and longer. It took us four years to buy a family vehicle. And the very next day, to my shame, I thought these thoughts, should we start working towards a caravan or a trailer? The very next day, those thoughts went through my head and I caught myself, I was like, it's happened. My target has now been hit and I'm on to the next one. We find ourselves in a progress-orientated world. And guess what? Progress within itself is not instinctively evil. But when progress is being sought after to the point where we are so distracted by other things and we're so focused on other things that we're not able to give ourselves to progressing in the most important things, progress becomes an idol of our age. It's a hamster wheel that we're all on and it's really hard to get off this progress wheel. So there is a call today for us to be a holy rebellion to combat these spirits of our age. Don't you wish you would more like that? I do. I wish I could say some bigger and bigger yeses and nos with greater clarity rather than being this distractible person who finds myself saying some compromising yeses and nos from time to time because the reality is this whole holy rebellion thing is actually more about who we're becoming, who we're becoming as the people of God. We know that we don't just become people overnight, right? See, there's, there's a beautiful thing. What happens is when we come to God, he in a moment changes our status. That happens when we come to Jesus, but it still takes a lifetime to shape our being. See, we're in Romans 5, grace in which we now stand. That happens in the transaction of salvation, the glory and the beauty of that. But we still have to give ourselves to the changing of our being. John six twenty-seven says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of God will give you. Son of man. We have to work for food that endures to eternal life, but we also have to let God provide it for us. Do you see that there's a, a work that we have to do, but a Jesus giving it? See, the gospel is not opposed to our efforts. The gospel is opposed to earning. So many people lose the trick when they say, "Oh, in salvation God gives us everything," and that is true. You cannot earn your salvation. There's no earning in that. That is a free gift given to you by God. All created in heaven, all out of the goodness of His movement towards us. That is salvation. That is the gospel. It is given to us as a free gift. God is opposed to us trying to earn that. You can't do it. But the gospel is not opposed to effort. See, Scripture calls us to work out our salvation. Here's my favorite verse on this, Philippians 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's a pressing on, there's a taking hold of. Jesus took hold of you for something and you take hold of that for which he has taken hold of you. Isn't it a beautiful dynamic and a dance? We have to press on to take hold of these things. We can't just sit back and hope that we're gonna roll out of our beds into the morning into righteousness and holiness and godliness. It doesn't happen that way. We've gotta press on and take hold. And here are two realizations. This will change your life if you really listen to it, if you really give yourself to it. Two realizations that I've become fully convinced of. Practice makes People. Practice makes people. Let's look at these guys on the screen here for a moment. You tell me what they've been practicing. <laughs> I'm not even sure that guy on the right is real, right? That looks photoshopped. It's like his left arm is as big as the guy's whole body. What about these guys? These are these, what are they what are they? Doing? CrossFit, there we go. I knew someone would say it. I watched this whole documentary on these CrossFit Natsos. Right? Which one do I most look like? Just go back a moment. Can we go back one, one slide? Huh? Nah, not really, hey? Go to the next one. Purposely chose this picture. Glasses, brown hair, a little bit of a beard. This guy's been practicing something too, and look, it's making him. He's got his beers on the left, he's got his chips on the right, and he's got his game control in his hand. What has he been practicing? Games, that's right. Well done. <laughs> He has been practicing games out of the mouth of babes, right? (laughs) And it's shaping who he's becoming. I wanted to desperately put the other guys with my face, you know, on it. But this guy looks like me. Okay, let's carry on. Here's my second realization. Oh, do you know who this is? Majorzi, right? Majorzi know him, used to be in our church. Do you know that he started out as a bank teller? nothing against bank tellers. (laughs) He started out as a bank teller while he was leading worship in his church and he was honing his craft. And he just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it to eventually God started using him on greater and greater platforms. And still today that guy's heart is in a very pure place even though he's really famous in our country at least. Practice makes people. Here's my second realisation. Hold on to that one. Community makes people. Let's show you some more pictures. Community makes people. What is it with bikers? They all end up looking the same, right? Jeff, I'm surprised you haven't started growing your hair a little bit longer. You have got the biker beard thing going, right? It's beards, it's long hair, and it's always the black jackets. Let's the Next picture. What about these guys? That guy cut the bottom of that other guy's shirt off and tied it around his head. It's a fashion statement, right? Community makes people, people, it's true. You can go into almost any environment in the world and if you just stick around with those people for a little bit of time, I can promise you, you will look more like them. It just happens. And if, if people's not your thing, watch out for how you start to look like the kind of community you hang out with, right? Guys, it's true, have a laugh at the doggy people, but practice makes people, and community makes people. These are two undeniable facts of the way that our world works, and when we say we're going to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of us, we're going to contend, we're going to be a holy rebellion, This people that God has called us to be, it is not going to come through us just hoping that Ryan says, nice enough, kind of, talks from the front that inspire us enough and we say amen. No, it comes through us being a people of practice and a people who are committed to community because both of those things will shape us more than anything else in our lives. What kind of practice have you been giving yourself to this week? Who are the people that you have been hanging out with the most? Practice will shape you, community will shape you. So what does this holy rebellion look like for us by way of practice and community? If I had to put it into a sentence, it would be this, practicing the way of Jesus with the people of Jesus. Practicing the way of Jesus. See, we believe Jesus when he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You wanna find out what the good life looks like? Give yourself to the life. That is Jesus. We rebel against all the unhelpful isms of our age by practicing the way of Jesus, standing on the truth of Jesus, and giving ourselves to the life of Jesus. That's what we as a community want to learn to do more and more, and we rebel. We rebel against individualism by giving ourselves to community, and we rebel against consumerism by living generously and sacrificially. We become rebels against liberalism by holding on to the war, well-worn pathways, biblical morals, that teaching that Paul was speaking about, he's passed on to us. We become rebels against feelingism by standing on the truth of God's word and shaping our lives and our feelings in light of that, which is our firm foundation. Let's become rebels in an information age, create our own formation age. See, people don't care how much you know anymore. They can Google it in 0.03 seconds have a billion answers. People wanna know who you are. And if we're gonna see a people looking at the flag of our lives and saying, take me to your leader, we're gonna to have to give ourselves to the formation age more than the information age. So here's seven practical ways that we in 2020 are gonna give ourselves to practicing and participating in being a holy rebellion. Practicing making us, community making us. Prayer. Prayer's been a weak muscle for us as a church over the last few years. It's a practice that will radically form us. Dependence, focus, hunger. These are the things that will be shaped in us when we give ourselves to the spiritual discipline of prayer. Pa- practice makes people. This Tuesday, we're relaunching our corporate prayer meeting. We, the elders, along with anybody else who wants to come and join us, it's an open corporate prayer meeting from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., and the small hall will be praying together. Straight away, half the room goes, that's a terrible time. Every time to pray is a terrible time to pray. That is what I've learned. We have tried every single slot over the 20 years I've been here. There is no good time to pray. Move stuff to prioritize it. Somebody else can take your kids to school on Tuesday mornings. I'm sure you can figure it out. Let's be a people of prayer. Personal devotions, number two. Nothing can replace this for you. This has proven to be the most formative element of the Christian walk. Your personal engagement with God's word daily. Connecting with Him. We've got those resources that we're gonna be making available. We're gonna... Provide those next week. Come ready to get those. The two weeks after that, we're also providing through Scripture Union some other Bible reading material. I'm excited about this Jesus devotional. Let's sign up to be a people who say, practice will form me as a person and I'm signing up to the Holy Rebellion. I will daily engage with God and commit to that. Thirdly, words. We wanna go deeper. Guys, we're getting into Mark for 26 weeks of this year because we're saying we're wanting to go deep in God's Word. We're gonna push pause on kinda going from this little sermon series to that little sermon series. We're gonna take a chunk of God's Word and we're gonna work through the first eight chapters of Mark over 26 weeks this year, starting in the next five weeks at looking at Jesus together. The theology course is an attempt for us to say, practice makes people. Sign up to the theology course, participate in that. I promise you it will form you and deepen you in your spiritual journey. What about life group? Community makes people. And lots of new groups starting, many of us elders are even signing up to again, create space, we've seen a hundred people go, masses of group leaders that have left. And we're saying there's a fresh opportunity for all of us to subscribe to saying, community and practice makes people. We will commit to being part of life group and doing life at the intersection of the cross together. What about generous giving? We best contend, I believe, against consumerism when we find ourselves as generous, sacrificial givers. That was the nature of my first Holy Rebellion talk in November, if you didn't listen to it, go and listen to it. But there's good news since then, two things have shifted. For the first time in the last three years of doing this, fill the city, five gifts to the city, we're ahead of our pledge targets in January. We've got three more months to go and we've already Uh, hit the pledge targets. That means some people are saying yes to filling that gap. Remember there was a pledge target and there was a faith gap of roughly 800,000. We're already into eating into, and there's three more months to go on filling the city, being a blessing church that is giving and blessing beyond ourselves. Secondly, in November, I told us that there had been some troubled waters, four to 6% behind on a kind of, budgeting and stuff like that in last year. And we needed more people to say yes, we wanna participate in being sacrificial, regular committed givers in this community. And as we see 100 people going down the M5 right now, we're gonna need to contend to fill that gap too. And 35 different people in November and December signed up to saying yes, we will be one of those regular, faithful, contributing individuals or families. That's 35 people that weren't doing that 35 out of the hopefully 75 that we need to fill that gap in the budgets for this year as so many people have moved on not moved on been sent out commissioned out we're doing what God's called us to be as a replicating church so I want to applaud you for that this morning thank you for those people who stepped into that gap we want to do that together be a generous giving church number six Serving in the church. Jeff mentioned all those things that are up there. Opportunities to serve within the church. But we don't just serve in the church, we also serve as the church into society and community. Get on your ratespayers dynamics. Sign up to be a part of your school thing. Serve beyond yourself. May the flag that you plant daily in the community you find yourself be in one that represents Jesus in sacrificial giving and loving of others. And then lastly, living in the spirit. Living the spirit-filled life. Now, whenever we talk about matters of the spirit, I know there's different people. Some people, they're they hoping the gold dust is gonna fall any minute now, right? Other people on the other side of the spectrum, maybe a little bit nervous. What is the role of the spirit? How does that work? So many people have kind of over-extremed on this one. Guys, I believe us walking in the power of the Spirit, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, allowing God to empower us to mission is what the Spirit has been given to the church for. Jesus said, I must go, but I am sending another one. One that is gonna take us into the much mores. And that is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, and this year, we're setting aside six different evenings where we're calling all of our life groups and everybody in to the room on a Wednesday evening. We're gonna worship together. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna teach into the spiritual life together. And Terry Virgo, who's a, a well-known global machine on this, I use machine in the most generous way, like, amazing guy on this is gonna come and teach us. The first one of these is happening in February and he's here from England and we've asked him, why don't he come and teach us into these things? He's written brilliant books. He's almost, I think he just turned 80. A man who has walked the spirit-filled life that I believe we can learn from. Let's not give us ourselves to things that are of no help at all. John 6:63 6, says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Can you see these seven practices? Practice makes people. Community makes people. Who you are becoming will be shaped by your practices and what you give yourselves to and the people you hang with. We are called to be a holy rebellion today, walking in the ways of Jesus. And I've said a lot of things, but I wanna land as the band comes up onto the stage by bringing us back to Philippians chapter three and verse 12. As we come to the communion table together there, I think there's a call for us in this verse. It says, not that I've already obtained all this. Anybody sitting in the room who feels like they've obtained it all? None of us. Not that I've already arrived at my goal. We're not there yet. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This is the flag that we want to be known for raising in this community. We're gonna come to the communion table now together, but when I think about this, there's a message in these symbols that we're about to partake in, which is massively powerful for us. See, how many lives have you got to live? Last time I checked, I have one and only life. I have one. I only have one, one and only life. I don't know how to say that sentence. We only get one life. And if Jesus, who was the son of God, was willing to spend his one and only life in this way towards you and me, that greatly motivates the response of my life and how I would want to spend it towards him. I don't say that by way of manipulation at all. Just un tether yourself from that dynamic. I say that by way of Jesus saw fit for you and I to give His one and only life broken for us, His blood shed for us. And He has made a way for us to be taken hold of. And I think it's the very richest response of the depths of our being to say, God, we see you taking hold of us. We receive the grace gift of salvation Your flag of salvation has been planted firmly in the ground and your banner over us is love. But that love is not a disempowering love. That love is a motivating love. God's word calls us to take hold of that for which he took hold of us. Let's come to the table now. Maybe you wanna just once you get your bread and your juice, you wanna just break into small groups and pray some prayers of thanking God for what He's done, but pray some prayers of saying yes to King Jesus in your life and participating and joining in on being this holy rebellion that He has set us apart to be. If you were not consider yourself a Christ follower today, please, there'll be lots of people fetching for others. Just stay where you are. This is for people who are saying, yes, I believe this stuff. I wanna bank my very own life on this broken body and this shed blood and I participate in coming to the table together. Let's do that now church.